Hey, and welcome back to Giovanni Andreoli's Movies and More, where I talk about movies and more. Alright, everyone, I'm back, and I'm here to talk about a series that I adore. And I've been very excited to talk about this show for a while. It's my favorite TV show, and, uh, and I, I love talking about things I like. However entertaining it may be to talk about really terrible things like true lies, um, I enjoy just as much talking about stuff like The Dark Knight or Spider-Verse or Daredevil, in this case, that I love. So, yeah, I've been really excited to talk about this for a while, and uh, and yeah, let's just get into it. I think recently I mentioned on the show that I've been watching Jessica Jones. And I did that because I was listening to my favorite podcast, Hey Do You Remember, which I know everyone probably knows by this point, but it is my favorite. And uh, and on one of them, it might have even been their, their show that's on Patreon, I'm not totally sure. But regardless, um, I heard the lead host say that his favorite of all the shows was Jessica Jones. And he said that the first season was like the best of any season of any of the Marvel Netflix stuff. And I was like, (laughs) can somebody spell blasphemy? Uh, But I was like, yeah, well, I never watched Jessica Jones. I might as well give it a shot. So I did. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I don't think as much as, as he did, which is fine. I'm not saying that he's like wrong or I completely disagree with him. It's a really, really good show. Uh, And I only watched the first season because I'm sorry, just no, I'm not, I'm not going for another 26 episodes after that, but, um, I thought it was, I don't know, I think, I think mostly it came down to the fact that I really hated most of the people in it, I hated her neighbors, I liked Malcolm, but the other neighbors, I hated them, um, I hated Hogarth, I hated her, she was so annoying, and everything about her, I, it was like, Jessica is the right amount of, a right amount of, like, angry and mean but she's still got a good heart i feel like this woman doesn't have a good heart i i really hated her and and everything with her in it i was just completely disinterested and then um and then nuke i hated nuke the like the actor playing him was weird and it was it was like nuke but it wasn't nuke like he never actually gets the costume or any of the real look and i just kept being like you are so ham-fistedly thrown into the show, and I really don't think that you need to keep being here, and I hate every scene that you're in, and I really don't like you, and why are you in so much of this stupid show? And so that really bugged me, but, and I know that sounds pretty harsh, but besides that, I was like, man, everything with Jessica and Trish and Kilgrave is amazing. When when the show is that, it's firing on all cylinders. It's when it brings in these other elements, that I don't particularly like it. I did like everything with Malcolm as well. So everything with those four characters, all of that was fantastic. Especially Jessica and Kilgrave. And Jessica and Trish. Their their relationship was really well built up. And I love the fact that the season ends with her finally admitting that she loves and cares for her friend. And how they use that as the signal that she's not actually under Kilgrave's influence. And then it's so satisfying when she actually, like, you know, finally kills him and gets that closure. It's a really, really good finale, and I really liked how they threaded the needle of her arc. Uh, but I didn't overall love it as much as uh, as I as I was hoping I would. 
Oh, and Luke Cage. I liked everything with him, too, I will say. I kind of forget that he's part of the show a lot of the time, but I did like him a lot. So, anyway, that prompted me to be like, okay, well, I'm going to... I think I think I'm gonna go back. And, yep, I'm definitely gonna go back and rewatch Daredevil because, as I just said, it's my favorite show, and I'd only seen it one time through, but I really, really loved it. And now I was a little worried that maybe the shine had kind of worn off. It's incredible to me, and it's like fascinating just how poorly managed this whole universe was. For one never having the movies reference them at all just kind of how completely disconnected they were that's something that kind of bothered me and obviously I'm not like expecting Daredevil to pop up in in like an Avengers movie or anything because logistically I know how much fans want it but from my point of view it it just was never gonna happen these are hard R-rated shows with really violent um action scenes and just really tough and adult themes that are just not on like they're just not conducive to the more family friendly and more um four quadrant approach to stuff like the avengers or iron man or or whatever just just pick pick any marvel movie it's just not quite they're not trying to do the same thing and i think that's okay there's these characters have been around long enough and they appeal to so many people that i think there's more than enough room to have a version and and like a world for everyone and just some that's specifically for adults i think that's really cool but i think that does mean that when it comes to them kind of interacting with the universe at large obviously they're not going to show up because then it's going to be like oh daredevil you liked him sweetie and be like yeah he was awesome cut to a mom showing her child one of the first scenes in this show and being like oh god oh oh god like i it's just never gonna happen because they're just not they're just not compatible and so that i never expected but just something just like oh have you heard of whatever the devil of hell's kitchen not something completely like not something so overt that like he actually shows up but just anything i think so that's part of it but honestly i can make peace with that i think the real problem is how samey they got and how afraid utterly petrified they became of acknowledging that they were superhero shows which is what they are and when they're at their best i think they're grounding a world that is fantastical and i think that these are the perfect characters all of them to do that iron fist jessica jones the punisher luke cage all these characters are characters who come from the streets who were whose best stories deal with them dealing with stuff that's not Avengers level, that's below their pay grade. And I think that they were all of them were perfectly suited to that. So from that perspective I think they're they are they chose the right characters, but I think they did it the wrong way. Because all of them have been part of fantastical stories. All of them have dealt with things that aren't just nameless people in suits in boardrooms. And I think it's crazy how quickly that became samey. And how, like, you know, at first you really feel the threat of these people, and then eventually it just becomes to the point where it's like, they're just not threatening, and they're just, you know, they could all just be the same, and, you know, you just get tired of, like, hallway fights and and overly bloody things, and then you get to stuff where it's it's just, like, um, stuff like Iron Fist, where the choreography's terrible, and was, and it's like, 
that should be the martial arts show and you you know your lead actor is on record of saying you he learned the fight scenes 15 minutes before you shot them and then not putting him in a mask begets other problems because with daredevil you can put anyone in that suit you can't see his face as long as he has some stubble we'll go with you that it's him so a stunt double can do that someone who's trained to do these martial arts can do that um finn wolfhard finn wolfhard what uh no uh that is what finn wolfhard is um is one of the kids on stranger things i don't know uh finn jones is what i meant finn jones plays uh iron fist Finn Jones has a very distinct look, very curly hair, and uh, and not putting him in a mask means that you you have to have him do all his own fights. Like it's just it's just I don't know. It's not it's not conducive to doing great action, which is one of the biggest problems with that series. And then I think yeah, the refusal, the other refusal to put them in costumes put a lot of people off, especially stuff with like Punisher and Luke Cage, where it's like, come on guys, it's literally a yellow shirt or like. I really don't think that a crazy person who has decided to kill a bunch of mobsters, I don't think it's that much of a stretch that he would have a skull on his shirt. Like, that's not really that outlandish. And yet they refuse to put him in it. And then the action just getting, like, always the same, and the plot is always, like, some evil businessmen are going to do something to the city or something. Uh, I think that was a big part of what put people off. And then the the runtime, the amount of episodes... They're so, so staunchly clinging to 13. It's always 13, except for Defenders, which is 8, and the second season of Iron Fist, which was 10. And I think that these shows could be more of a case-by-case basis. Daredevil is perfectly constructed, well, mm, maybe not season 2, but for the most part, it's perfectly constructed to fit that format. There are There is stuff in every episode that progresses the plot. You could maybe make an argument for some stuff in season one, like, okay, maybe you could have cut an episode. Like, 12 is probably was probably perfect. You might have stretched it a little bit. But the the fact remains that there is enough story there to stretch it. Stuff like, you know, Luke Cage or, or The Punisher or Iron Fist, it's just, it's not, they don't have that story. It doesn't need to be an expansive epic. They could have just eight or ten or whatever. Like, it doesn't, not everything deserves that amount of uh of stuff and i think it's just it's just crazy how quickly it all went downhill and how like at first daredevil basically built netflix like obviously ordering dvds that was a big part of netflix's business model for a while but once they decided to evolve and start doing original content and all predominantly streaming based i think that wasn't something that took off a lot especially not their series until daredevil because so many people got Netflix because of Daredevil and stayed because they knew there was going to be more and then that be you know that gave way to stuff like Stranger Things and Ozark and Orange is the New Black and all that kind of stuff that's what started to cultivate this culture of of you know original content and licensed content on Netflix and I think that's crazy how it went from like this exciting new era and new side of the Marvel Universe to the point where it's like oh another season of that came out I look forward to never watching it like I don't know. It's just interesting to me how mismanaged it was. But regardless, I think always, always Daredevil was their flagship. From the first season to the last, um, it was always the standout. It was always the one that still got people talking and was still making headlines and was still legitimately fantastic, whereas the other ones pretty steeply fell off. 
So, all that being said, easily my favorite. I definitely like it better than Jessica Jones. And honestly, he's probably my favorite character in the entire MCU. And it breaks my heart that there was no fourth season. I know, I know that it's just, you know, it was bad timing. There, Marvel was moving on to Disney+, Plus, and Netflix was evolving as a company to the point where it, it you know, they, it was more of a financial liability to keep producing these shows for millions of dollars, and then, you know, their viewership was just steadily declining. And I understand that from a business perspective, both parties were just at a point where they could you know, sever ties. There's no one to be mad at. It's just they were at different places than when they started. And I get it, but God, it just sets up a fourth season that would be so awesome. And I just would love to see the, the gang get back together and, and go on for one more ride. And, and it functions perfectly as a conclusion to the story. It's not like they really leave any plot threads dangling. You get the final shot with Dex, you know, waking up and the bullseye is like in his, his eye. But like, you don't need to see what happens. You can infer, you know, the continuing battles of Daredevil and Bullseye. And, it, you know, and you get it. But, man, I just wish they had one where they knew going into it, this is going to be the end. Where it wasn't like, hey, maybe you, you might not get renewed. This might be over. One where they know, okay, this is the last season. And they can write around that. And they can have everything from all three seasons come to a head and have some epic conclusion i think that would have been amazing to see and i'll always lament the fact that that won't happen but i do still think that the third season functions fine as a conclusion i would just always you know get a little wistful thinking about what could have been especially when stuff like freaking arrow is on for like eight years and i'm just like this is a soap opera with a guy with a hood and an arrow like and, and a bow and arrow like what what are you talking about i cannot i it blows my mind how bad those shows are and how and just the fact that they're still on and listen back in the day i loved arrow i loved the flash but i saw the other day i the other day oh god probably like last year um i caught a little bit of batwoman on tv and i almost puked like okay that's an exaggeration but it's it's garbage the writing is terrible the performances are worse the action is incomprehensible i i just can't fathom how these shows are still on and have been running for so long and listen it's not to be disrespectful towards the work of these people those actors i know they're all giving it their all and, and it's a lot of work to do something like that but I, I just don't see the appeal, and I just, I'm so perfectly at home with these, these shows, and I really, really have a soft spot in my heart for them, especially Daredevil. So, yeah, but anyway, that is actually kind of a perfect uh, segue to what I, I wanted to talk about, something that's been occurring to me recently. Um, I, I said about, and I didn't mean to insult all the people that worked on it, and I know, and even for bad things, no one sets out to make them bad, they're just, you know sometimes circumstances aren't the best and sometimes you know it just happens that way and i know obviously they're not bad to most people otherwise they wouldn't still be on so you know i have still have respect for that but i also understand that there are so many people at work for shows like this and i think that it's insane it's something that's been occurring to me to me more and more the serendipity that has to happen the perfect storm that creates pieces of art like this 
and this that's really what strikes me about this is like the other you know jessica jones it's a good superhero show you know and some of the other stuff they're okay superhero shows this is art like this is a piece of art everything from the writing to the symbolism to the lighting to the cinematography to the choreography to the performances it all it's so perfect it coalesces so well to give you something that's so amazing and i just can't even wrap my head around the amount of people the amount of circumstances that had to align perfectly for all of this to go so well and i've been thinking about that with like not just this but stuff like the dark knight or or older stuff like back to the future like um like Goonies, like um, the Terminator movies, RoboCop, whatever, stuff that I've been talking about recently, Ghostbusters, how perfect everything everything happened, that it went well, and it worked, and people loved it, and responded to it, and it, they became classics, and just how you found the right actors, you found the right composer, the right editor, the right choreographer, the right writers, the right director, everything fit perfectly to make this amazing puzzle that's just beautiful once you you finish putting it together man do i have so much admiration for that and nowhere to me is that more obvious than here i really listed off a bunch of the things that i respect about this show but to get into it more in detail the writing first and foremost the freaking writing on the show is fantastic i mentioned the symbolism and the um and and just the the structure of it and how there's enough story for for all these episodes, and man, I, okay, I will get it off my chest right off the bat, I didn't love the first season as much as I did the first time around, and I think it comes down predominantly to two things, one, every time they, they say the word city, I, I just, I get a little bit like, just a little, just a little something, I don't know what it is, my trigger gets tripped, if you will, because, they say it a lot. I saw, I was watching a video on this, you know, kind of formulating my thoughts. And, uh, and it, and it, and it super cuts how many times they say city in the first season. And it's a freaking lot. My city, this city, blub, city, this city, that. It's, it's a little bit annoying. And especially with Wilson Fisk, where it's like, I'm just trying to make this city a better place. And it's very similar to what I said about bad education. If you listen to the beginning of my last episode, where I don't properly understand what exactly he's trying to do. And the other thing is, it's like, I love a hero. I love, or excuse me, I, I do love a hero. But I, I meant, what I meant to say is I love a villain that's a hero of their own story. I think that's the best kind of villain and it's the most fascinating kind of villain. Stuff like Mr. Freeze, uh, if you just go in for a purely comic book example, where they are doing what they feel is right, but they're going about it in the wrong way, and that puts them into conflict with our protagonist. I love that kind of stuff. The narrative symmetry and the and the parallels that can be drawn between the hero and villain are it's just ripe with um with possibilities. And certainly they do a fantastic job of that here. But I do think it would work a little bit better if you understood more what exactly he was attempting to do, because it's not like he's trying to moralize these people. It's not like he's trying to make them all better and like try to make this a more legitimate operation. It's like he's just trying to own the city and that's really about where it ends. And then the other thing is once he like comes out of the shadows, like for one, I love Vincent D'Onofrio's performance and how you can see how angry he can get sometimes and how vulnerable he always is, but then how much of a punchable face he is. Just sometimes where I'm just like, oh my god, if I could kill you, I would. I hate you so much. Which is 
which is good. A villain that you love to hate is good, and that's something that is kind of essential to a villain working, but despite all that, I do wish there was a little bit more of a delineation between, um, between his public persona and who he is with Vanessa and then who he is as a crime boss. If he was ruthless as a crime boss but vulnerable with Vanessa and then, you know, charming and lovable when he is out in public. And the first two, yes, he is vicious but then vulnerable depending on what crowd he's in. But when he's out in the city, he still has his clipped speech and he just seems so angry and I like that. It works for the most of the show. But when he's trying to pass him off as a legitimate business businessman i'm just thinking like well for one there's no way this is breaking news and for two i am looking at this like what who the hell is this person why am i just now hearing about them what are they doing that's very important because it's not like he's started a some sort of like foundation or whatever like the the, I don't know, the Alien Foundation, you wouldn't call it that, but, like, the Chitauri Relief Fund, I don't know, something like that, where he's helping rebuild the city, or something like that, and it's, like, in construction, or something, which would actually be perfectly tied in with, um, with, with the whole thing that turns out to be, like, Midland Circle, and they're looking for the specific block, or whatever, and they are doing that, but it's to help the hand, it's not like it's a, it's not like it's a front, for for what he's trying to do and I mean I get it it is implied but it's not like explicit and I think that if that was more of what his business was his like legitimate side that would have really gone a long way because then I would have understood more what he's doing he's helping to rebuild the city after the attack he's trying to make it better that makes sense especially if his heart was legitimately in it but what I think is weird is that okay I guess he's a a a, a a fish. No, I'm just kidding. He's a phil- Damn it. He's a fillet. Come on. He's a fillet. What the heck? He's a fillet mignon. No, he's a philanthropist. God damn it. Philanthropist. There we go. First try. Okay. He's a philanthropist, right? But I can't think of any philanthropists. Like, I, Bill Gates, I guess. I mean, every celebrity now and then, every big actor is like, I'm donating $1 million to whatever. But it's not like they, they call a press conference in front of City Hall in L.A. And Bill Gates is like, I'm going to donate X amount. We're going to make the city a better place. He never, he never does that. It's just like an Instagram story where he's like, hey, I'm going to donate like a billion dollars to these kids in Africa. Like, it's not, it's just, that's just not a thing that happens anywhere outside of comic books. And okay, whatever. It's a comic book show, you know, give it some leniency. I don't understand what he's doing, and he never makes it clear what he's doing. And that's one of the things I really hated about it, was like, it just annoyed the shit out of me that he's just like, I'm trying to make the city a better place. And I'm like, if I saw that on TV, I would be like, I do not trust you, you look evil and angry, and you're not telling me what your plan is, and there's no, I don't buy this. I really don't buy this. And then if a city, you know, or, sorry, if a vigilante would have, come out and told the whole city that, like, hey, this guy's evil, I would be like, yeah, duh, I, I knew that, I can tell, he looks evil, um, there's that, and then, but then they're also like, you're tracking well politically, and I'm like, tracking well politically for what? He's not a politician, what is he doing? So, that was one of my biggest hangouts with the show, and I just wish all of that would have been more fleshed out and more clearly defined. Anyway, I'll get off of all that. I think, honestly, I might as well just go through all my negatives now, because, so there's that, but then I think it gets a lot better 
in the second season, or I mean in the third season, when he comes back into the picture, and then I like, um, yeah, I like that that's, that it's better to find, and that it's less of, it's, he's not trying to do this whole helping the city thing, he's more trying to do this whole making him, you know, freeing himself thing, it's, it's a different and better thought out plan, I like it, I like that version of him better, and then, I guess my other big complaint, which would be, well, there's two, actually, if you want to talk about undefined plans, and like, hey, why don't you tell us what you're actually trying to do, I think that really applies to Foggy Nelson's run, like, he's running for district attorney in the third season, now listen, it's a very weird subplot at first, but I think that they actually do go to a very interesting place with it, in the way that the that Fisk would use him um, to to leverage the city, I think is very interesting that they set that up, and then the way he uses his standing politically to gain information and to talk with people that you wouldn't normally be able to talk to, all that works great, and I understand why he's doing it. However, he's making all these impassioned speeches and being like, I have the proof right here, and but he never really shows it, he never makes it public, and I get the intention, but I don't think that he does a very good job of clearly defining for the audience or for the characters in the show exactly what he's trying to do. And I think if that would have been a little bit written differently, I think I th would have been more on board for it. But as it stands, it's not a huge deal. It's just that sometimes I feel like, mm, I feel like he maybe could have done that a little bit better. And certainly in those scenes, in a lot of scenes with, with Foggy Nelson, unfortunately, I do feel like more than any other character on the show, you can see him acting I can just be like, mm, you're not really a real person, you're clearly writing, you're reading things that are written, and I just, I know that's a very common complaint with the show, but I don't, I just don't love him, there is another common complaint with the show that they don't like him, like his actual character, and they don't like Karen either, and find them annoying, that's actually where I diverge from the pack, I never find Foggy or Karen annoying, especially Karen, my favorite episode of the entire show is uh, season 3, episode 10, which is all about Karen, and man, is that episode fantastic, um, and I've always thought that was the best, and it really emotionally affects me, and I, I always loved Karen, I, I never really had a problem with her, and same with Foggy, I think the performance is just completely outclassed by pretty much every other one, especially Charlie Cox, who is fucking amazing, he's perfect in this show, but, um, but yeah, I never had a, I didn't, I never hated him, and then, um, my other problem, I guess, would be that how unfocused the second season is. It doesn't really clearly define exactly what the hand's plan is for a lot of it. And it really, it occurred to me at the end of episode four that we hadn't mentioned the hand yet. And I was like, uh-oh, it's a pretty good sign that they weren't, you know, that this is maybe not the short, the story they should have been telling. But... I did remember pretty shortly after, I was like, I, I'm almost positive that this is when he comes home and sees Electra, and I'm like, narratively, that's the perfect place, because he's just admitted his feelings for Karen, they're officially dating now, and so it's narratively the best place to introduce Electra. but at the same time, I just have never been super interested in Electra, and I've never been super interested in the hand, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm more interested in Fisk, definitely, so, yeah, there's, there's that, but, regardless, um, I think the first four episodes of Daredevil are literally perfect, or, of season two, I mean, specifically, um, it's, I can't, I, like, I was telling my dad, I was like, dude, 
I mean, if you shortened this and, you know, took some some stuff out and you released this as a movie, it would be the most perfect Daredevil movie that could ever be made. It would be untouchable. It's perfect. The way they tell the story of the Punisher's origin and the way it explores the difference between their codes of ethics and what they're trying to do and and the way the, the entire show acts as an open book a thesis on why superheroes shouldn't kill and almost serves as the answer for like why Batman doesn't kill. I know it's not about Batman, but it can definitely translate in a lot of ways is fantastic. And the way they, they start that in season one and carry it all the way to season three, where it comes to a head at the very end. And, and man, is that, that is my favorite scene in the entire, the, the entire show Um, is the, is the, the wedding night where Matt, comes in and he's at first the fight is amazing and then he's punching the shit out of Fisk and then he you know Fisk is telling him to kill him whatever and, and he's like he or he's telling him he won't he won't stop hunting Karen and Foggy and and Matt's like you know you don't get to destroy who I am and and the way he's like screaming and oh my god it's so freaking good it's such a good scene that is it wrenches my heart like I love it especially after binging the whole show like you feel it so much and it it's just a perfect combination and then that's something i would have loved to see is is going into uh is like going to a fourth season where that's no longer a problem for him where he's definitive about who he is and how he operates and uh and how that would serve as a kind of new beginning for him i wish that was something that we could see but anyway um yeah, man, is that just perfectly built up, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And then even the the parallels that the first season draws between the... Well, it kind of, it kind of bleeds over into the second season, too, which is, I think, why the first four episodes work so well, is because they they're kind of a perfect extension of the, of the first season, is the fact that the parallels it draws between, um, between the world of the, of the Marvel Universe and then the uh, severity of torture that the United States employed when uh, after 9-11. And it's kind of like 9-11 in the Marvel Universe is basically the first Avengers movie, there, that attack, that galvanized the world of that universe into, you know, into a real change. That's a real turning point. And so I like the fact that you explore for a while, like, you know he's really, really hurting these criminals, like, he is really going at them, like, he puts people in a coma, he's breaking bones, like, he's going really far, but he's not ever crossing that line, he's just pushing them up to it, so that they know never to do this kind of stuff again, and I think that's interesting how, you know, he butts up against different perspectives, like, either you're not going far enough, or you're going too far, and how he's, like, kind of that line in the middle, and he's the shade of of gray that's um you know that that's like and it's all kind of reactionary to this crazy event that happened and shook the lives of of everyone in new york and how he's trying to you know stop something like that from happening again but you know specifically to the people he cares about and the people he loves that's you know well obviously not that fantastical but that cataclysmic it's that same type of of horror and trauma that would occur I love that. It's so awesome. And visually, I love how he 
the suits you track the progression of him as a person and as daredevil he starts off in a very dark place he's doing you know he's doing very very dark things and then eventually he becomes an actual hero and he's saved the city and now he gets to become an official superhero with a, a real costume goes into the second season and then by the end of defenders he has renounced all that he's decided to go down that darker path again intentionally and um and i really like all of that and then the the juxtaposition of him being dressed in all black and then fisk being dressed in all white as they're both going down opposite paths you know fisk is destroying everyone below him including matt sending them down the dark path and compromising their morals and destroying who they they are to build himself up and he's you know he's become all white he's become all good he's cleared his name in the eyes of the law it's fantastic it's so so good and then the way the third season draws parallels between jack murdoch and um an agent nadim the way uh he he tells him um you'll you'll have the pool whatever by whatever date and by that date you know um there's a pool of his own blood in the backyard god damn is it it's so good dude it's so good um oh, the conversations between matt and his father and matt and fisk in his head and the way he's reconciling his morals and how you you see him try actively to to go against everything that he knows is the right decision and then the way he's like fine okay we'll try it another way i'll try it the better way and then the way that doesn't work and the way that sends him, you know, he, he even tells Foggy, we tried it your way. And then he goes immediately to try to kill Fisk. And you really feel, um, especially in the third season, the desperation that this guy creates, how they just keep throwing everything they possibly can at him. And he just keeps going. Nothing can stop him. He just seems unstoppable to the point where you're with Matt. Like, yeah, that's the only way you're going to beat him. And it's so it's so good the way they, how expertly they construct that. Something I really loved about the third season was the fact that, like, I recalled it taking a lot longer for him to, to don the Daredevil costume again. And once he had it on in the first episode, I was like, wait, what? I remember this incorrectly. And then it really gets off and, and running immediately. And I love the fact that uh, it goes every episode before the credits and like the fine the opening credits and before the end credits there's some big reveal some the plot shifts in some way to keep you watching that's fantastic it builds expertly and then um and then yeah this the the action god the action dude it's it's so good it's so so good the first and second season it's great and i think it gets the the best hallway scene my personal favorite is the one in season three because it's just the epic scope of going through the whole prison and it never cuts and they they go outside and and there's like this shot where you like sweep low and you see the there's like um there's like tear gas everywhere and then the, there's like fights and riots everywhere and he's just like in the middle of it and it's so so fantastic and so epic um the the portrayal of Bullseye in that season is fantastic and how we learn everything about him and his upbringing and how Fisk expertly plays that, uh, plays on his emotions and, and 
compromises him and the way he in the second season manipulates the prison system into basically turning it into his own personal kingdom all of that is really really good and uh and yeah the first season i love i love the action in that too i think that's the best consistently the best action of the whole show i do wish there was a little less slow-mo in the nobu episode uh i think seven maybe where he fights nobu I don't like slow motion and action. I think it's better. Um, James Cameron said this once, and I definitely agree with him that it should be used to emphasize drama, but not action, because I prefer to see action happening fast. I think you can appreciate it more, which is ironic, but because if it's slower, you can see more of the individual moves, but I, I just think it's cooler to see when it's happening faster. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I wish there was more of a delineation between the different sides of Fisk. I think that's something that uh, Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock and as Daredevil nails perfectly. I love the uh, the fact that he he has the charming persona with like the ladies and and you know when he's talking to just regular people and then he's got the the business side of himself and then he's got Daredevil and how all those different parts of him kind of coalesce and and like weave in and out is fantastic. I love Sister Maggie. She's such a great character, and exploring Matt's upbringing is a really great part of the show. Um, all of that stuff is is really really fantastic. So what did I say? I touched on the performances. I touched on the fights, the writing. Um, oh my God, the lighting and cinematography. This show is beautiful to look at. It pops so much. The colors are so bright and gorgeous. I talked about the hallway scenes. Obviously, those are standout moments of cinematography. I think my favorite shot in the entire show is this shot where I think Matt leaves Karen and he wants it to be like the perfect night. He's walking down the street. He hears the cops. There's a bunch of like blue lighting. And then he walks under a sign. The, the, the camera like circles around him. He's illuminated in red as he's undoing his tie and getting ready to go into daredevil mode fantastic the visual symbolism in just that shot is incredible and yeah just in general it looks so beautiful it's got such amazing use of color and it, it just pops so well it's so visually interesting it's oh it's amazing dude i love this show so much uh i did not remember incorrectly that season three was my favorite season and then it would be one and then two uh, i liked one a lot i just didn't like it as much as it did the first time around just the shine wore off a little bit, but the shine absolutely did not wear off on season three. That is such an amazing and just perfect Daredevil story. I loved it so much, and uh, I'm going to watch it again. I think I'm going to binge it again tonight. I'm just kidding, but uh, but yeah, it's it's so, so good, and you just know. You just know it's going to be different. It just immediately hits different. It's got a different... Uh, it's got a different look to it. It's got a different feel to it, uh, and it it's just... It's amazing, so... Yeah, I love the show. Uh, I love the pacing, the performances, the writing, the action, the cinematography. It all coalesces so well. The score, God, the score. This is one of the very few TV intros I actually enjoy watching. Uh, it's just, it's really, really good. I there, are, I know there are a thousand other things that I haven't said about this that I I want to, but I have talked about this for forty minutes now, and I think. I don't know if it's as interesting to talk about as it is to watch. So just go watch it and uh, and just see how how brilliant it is. 
uh, I think I think this deserves so many more eyes than it's gotten, and yeah, I I love it. I'm sad that it's gone. All right, I'm grateful for uh, jumbles. Uh, if you don't know, jumble is a is a puzzle thing in the paper where there's like the different le uh, letters are all jumbled up, and then you have to unscramble them to make the word. There's circles within like in the box where you put the word and the letters that are in those circles you put them down at the bottom and then there's like a final one that you have to solve made out of all those letters so much fun it's a great thing to do in the morning and i our paper i think it's like maybe once a month publishes this thing called brain busters where it's just an entire section and it's like it's a solid like 20 oh no it's it's not 20 it's like maybe 20 no let me check here Oh, it's, uh, it's 47 pages of puzzles, so, yeah, it's, it's great, and, uh, and I've been enjoying doing those, and it's fun to, to get better at them, because they were pretty hard, and they're getting a little bit easier, so, I've been enjoying that, and I'm grateful that our paper does that, and that, that gives me a little change of pace, a little something different to do, because I really do fall into a routine after a while of this, but, uh, whew. And my voice is shot. I have been talking for an hour straight, so I better go down and eat, get some water. But in the meantime, thank you as always for listening. Uh, I would really love it if you would subscribe and leave a review. You can do it right in app. It takes a minute. Five stars would be greatly appreciated, but let me know what you think. If you want to follow the show on Instagram, you can do that at moviesandmorepod at gmail.com. Oh, shoot. That's my email address. You can follow the show on Instagram at moviesandmorepod. That's where I post... Um, that's where I post uh, updates on new episodes when they release and what the topics of discussion will be. If you want to follow me personally on Instagram, I'm not posting a lot anymore because there's not really much interesting to post about, but you can do that at chibandrilli1 on Instagram. If you want to email the show with any comments, questions, concerns, or suggestions, you can do that at moviesandmorepod.gmail.com, like I said earlier by accident. And thanks if you've done all that, and thanks in advance if you're going to. And like I said, thanks as always for listening, and uh, I will see you, see you next time. But, uh, but until then, um, let the devil out. Peace. Oh, you know what else? I talked in the on the other episode, I think the last one, about a cliche that I hate, which is like the, hey, little sister, or, hey, big brother, when you're introducing characters. It's just something that gets under my skin so much. Another thing, much much along the same lines, a pet peeve of mine is when, is anything, any show or movie where a character writes an article, and there's like the voice over the article as the end. I hate that. And this show is no exception. I love so much about this show, but the article at the end of the show, at the end of season two, is a piece of shit. And also, not an article. It's not about anything. That's not a thing. Not even an op-ed would be like, you're a New Yorker, you're a hero. I'm sorry. Get, get out of my paper. What is this? Like, this is, I, this is an expose about the Punisher? What is, this is ridiculous. It's, it always happens where it's just like, write the ultimate article says something about you and it's just like mm, it's always terrible dude it's uh this is getting cut out